All right, good evening. And uh, tonight we're going to begin our study. Uh, we're going to spend the next month or so in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. But before we get started, let's open up with prayer. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you especially for these books. Lord, I thank you for um, the way you've used them in my life and in the life of this church. And Lord, I pray that uh, what we see these next few nights would open someone's heart and mind to where they would, they would go and read uh, here in 1st and 2nd Samuel. Lord, I pray that uh, your word would speak to us uh, and we would see how you're setting the stage for um, the coming King Jesus in the New Testament. Lord, we love you. We pray that you continue to work in our midst. You continue to heal those who are sick and you continue to um, use the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in right now to honor and glorify yourself. Or these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so we're going to walk through First and uh, Samuel. First and Second Samuel are one literary unit. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, First and Second Samuel are First Kings, and First and Second Kings are Second Kings. Uh, and so this is really one literary unit that looks at the rise and fall of the house of Saul and God's providence in bringing David to the kingship. Um. We don't know who wrote First and Second Samuel. Uh, Jewish tradition teaches that Samuel uh, was a huge part of that, um, but uh, we we don't know. In the book, nowhere where says uh, nowhere says that uh, Saul uh, Samuel was born about 1100 BC, and David began reigning at about 1010 BC, uh, and so we we see that Saul's reign began about 1050 BC. And so uh, the central theme of the book of Samuel is how the Lord established his dynasty uh, for David rather than for Saul and how he chose Jerusalem to be the seat of David's kingdom and how Jerusalem became uh, the city of David and uh, how it's going to be used throughout the Bible. 1 Samuel has two major events, the establishment of the monarchy in Israel with Saul being the first king and then the the rise of David as king after Saul. Now if you think about probably the greatest king that that Israel ever had was David and we see throughout 2 Samuel, which we'll talk about next week, his failures. And one of the things that's going to come out of 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings is that there is no king other than God. And that Samuel's in the beginning of the book saying they have rejected me, uh, referring to God, saying that they have rejected me. We we will see the consequences of that action. The themes are God's kingship. God is king of the universe, always has been, always will be. And no human king can, can assume kingship except as a deputy of the divine king. We see... God's providence at work, how God, uh, we saw back in the book of Ruth, how God was working through those circumstances so that David could be born. We see God providentially and individually guiding the lives of chosen people such as Hannah, Samuel, and David. We even see in Saul's life God working uh, as much as uh, in spite of Saul as opposed to with him, and we see God's sovereign will and power. He chooses or rejects according to his sovereign will. In fact, the whole idea of God being sovereign is that he does what he does because he wants to do it. 
A quick outline would be the story of Samuel in chapter 1 through chapter 17, uh, the monarchy being established in chapter 8 through chapter 22. Um, and within that, we see the story of Saul in chapters 9 through 15, and then the stories of David and Saul together in chapters 16 through 31. The setting is Israel. Uh, most things are happening in the uh, Gibeah, Bethel, Mizpah, Shiloh, Shechem, that area of central Israel around the Dead Sea. So I want us to just kind of walk through the book a little bit. Um, it starts out with the birth of Samuel. We remember the story, I'm sure, from when I preached through this um, probably three years ago, how Hannah came to the temple. Uh, she was praying. Uh, Eli saw her, thought that she was drunk. Uh, when he realized that she was praying and she was just moving her lips and not speaking out loud, uh, he, he asked her what she was praying for and then sent her home and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. And she did. And she gave that baby back to God and that baby ended up growing up to be Samuel. Uh, Samuel grew up in the temple. And uh, one of my favorite stories in the book, and I want to kind of go into some detail in that, is when Samuel was gr was, had grown up some, uh, Eli is old, his sons are wicked, and Samuel is being looked to more and more by the people of Israel. Well, the Philistines are coming up against the children of Israel. And uh, so Eli comes up with the idea to send his sons, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, with the Ark of the Covenant to go into the battle. They think that because uh, the Philistines are overpowering them, overcoming them, that what they need to do is do what they want to do but include God. And then that's going to fix everything. And what happens is a travesty on the highest scale. Phineas and Hopney are killed in the battle. The Ark of the Covenant is taken by the Philistines. And Eli, when he hears about it, falls over dead. I think God wants us to see in this story that we can't just do whatever we want to do and then stick God on the outside of it like a sticker and think that that's going to make it okay. And that's, you know what, that's challenging. That is uh, something in our culture that we live in here in the South and in the United States. It's something we do a lot. There's a lot of politicians who do whatever they want to do, and then when times get tough, they start talking about God. And I think this story shows us that we need to be really careful of that. That we need to be afraid when we talk about God, but we don't allow God to impact the way that we live our lives. The Ark of the Covenant is captured, and the Philistines kind of do the same thing that the Israelites do. They think, we've got God in a box. And so they have a God that they worship, Murdoch, and they take the Ark of the Covenant, and they put that Ark in front of their God, implying that their God is God over Yahweh. They go to bed that night. Uh, get up in the morning, and their God is laid on its face before the Ark of the Covenant. They think, okay, that's strange. They sit their God up, seeing no irony whatsoever in the fact that they have to work to pick their God up off the ground, put the Ark back in front of it, and lo and behold, same thing happens again. Only this time, when they come in, their God is not just laying on, on its face. His head has come off and his hands are on the threshold of the floor. The Philistines realize that God is not something to be trifled with. 
God will not allow himself to be used like some sort of good luck charm. He is not a rabbit's foot to stick in your pocket and pull out whenever you think you need him. The Philistines returned the ark because every city that it went to, it caused all kinds of issues. Um, they, the, everybody in the city, would, there would rats would come out. They would end up getting tumors all over them. It was a bad situation. And so what they did was they made a cart. They put the Ark of the Covenant on the cart. They hitched the cart to a uh, yearling calf. And then they separated the mom over here, and they let the calf go. And they said to, them, to each other that if the calf goes to its mama, then we'll keep the ark. If the calf returns to Israel, then we'll know it's God. The calf returned to Israel, and uh, the Israelites got, got the ark back. So the ark sits there for a period of time. Samuel goes, and uh, Israel came to Samuel and demanded a king. And he was very upset about it. He warned them. He said, do not take a king. The king is going to levy taxes. The king's going to call your sons up to go to battle. Your daughters are going to have to work for the king's women. It's going to be a bad situation. But the children of Israel said, we want a king like everybody else has. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 8, 19, uh, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may be also like the other nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel said to the men of the Israel, Go every man to his city. And so Saul was chosen to be king. He was anointed as king. Uh, but he, from the beginning... We see problems. When it was time to anoint him as king, he went and hid because he was embarrassed. He was a big guy. He was a good-looking guy. He was exactly the person when you thought in your mind, this is what a king needs to look like, he looked like it. But there were some character issues that started out um, and continued throughout his kingdom. God told Samuel, don't think that they've rejected you. They've rejected me. So Saul fights the Philistines. Uh, Jonathan, his son, fights the Philistines. And Saul gets more and more jealous of his own son. And uh, lo and behold, the Philistines, who are ever the thorn in the side of Israel, uh, come to a valley, and they did something which was very common in those days, which was they um, brought out a champion. The way this would work is, is two men would fight instead of two armies, and the winner would, would be the victor, and the loser would have to, to do whatever the winner said. Young David, uh, at the time, was a shepherd, and he is watching over his father's flocks. His dad sends him to the battlefront with some sandwiches for his, for his uh, kids. And um, things are. David gets there just about the time that... Um, Goliath, the, the champion of the Philistines, comes out and mocks the children of Israel. David's looking around going, hey, why is nobody standing up to this guy? What's going on here? And so he says, I'll fight the, the guy. His son, brothers told him to shut up. He's just a little kid. Uh, word got to, to Saul that this kid said that he would fight. Uh, David defends his, his reputation, says, look, I've fought 
bears, I've fought lions, I've fought tigers, oh my, and uh, I, I can fight this guy. Saul tries to put his armor on him, and, and David, being a little kid, uh, they did, his armor didn't fit, and um, so the battle is on. David is just wearing his shepherd's clothes. David picks up some rocks by the creek side. Goliath walks out mocking David. He says, what am I, dog? You've come to me with sticks. He's got his armor. He's got his sword. He's ready to go to fight, and here comes little David. David says one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible. So that all the world will know that there's a king, and he reigns. Today, I'm going to feed your body to the crows. He ran toward Goliath, flinging that stone Flew, uh, through the rock, the rock lands in, in uh, Goliath's forehead, sinks in. David takes Goliath's sword, removes his head, and won the day. I've heard this text preached quite a few times. I've heard uh, people talk about, and, and preachers and pastors say things like, uh, we can look at this story and and think, remember that you're David. And I want us to remember way back when we started this that we started this by reading what Jesus said to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. He turned to his disciples and showed them how all the scriptures were speaking of him. You're not David. If you try to overcome your problems, you will lose. Jesus is David. Goliath is the monster of your sin, your shame, your attempts at self, uh, self-correction. And Jesus is going to win that battle every time. Don't make the mistake of making yourself the center of the story. Saul is now hugely jealous of Jonathan and David, their exploits. The, when the ladies were saying uh, Saul has his thousands, David has his ten thousands, he burned with rage. There's also a story in chapter 13, and this is where Saul loses his kingship. So Saul had reigned for two years, and he was going to, he was preparing to go into battle up against the, uh, the Philistines, and he was told by Samuel, God's man, to go, wait, I'll come, we'll make sacrifices, and then after that sacrifice, you can go. Well, the Philistines are, are arrayed in battle, they're ready to go, he's got his soldiers there, and they sit there for seven days. Saul waited for seven days, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were starting to wander off, they were starting to scatter. Um, Saul said, bring the burnt offerings here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered them. And as soon as he had finished the offerings, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that they had not come within, you had not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come against us at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. 
you have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom of Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So, notice that Saul did what he wanted to do. He didn't obey the law. He didn't obey God's commandments. He sacrificed and assumed the priestly role when that was not his place. When Samuel confronts him with that truth, rather than repent, rather than confess, what Saul did was made excuses. You see, you don't understand. For under these circumstances, it was okay for me to disobey God. It was okay for me to, I didn't even really want to do it. I forced myself to do it. So often when we sin, we justify it in our mind. Yeah, I know this is wrong normally, but under these circumstances, it's going to be okay. Over and over and over in the book of Proverbs, we're told to obey no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what call is pulling us this way or that way, we obey what God told us to do in his word. So Saul sacrificed. Saul was still the king, but in chapter 16, David is anointed as king. And I've always found this strange that God chose when David's a young man, Samuel goes out to find God told him to, to go to Jesse. He goes to Jesse. Jesse, where are your sons? Sons come marching out one at a time. Surely this, nope, nope. God looks, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks in the heart. And when, when Dave, uh, Samuel says to Jesse, hey, we're, is this the last of your sons? Jesse says, nope, I got, I got one other son, but he's out shepherding. They send for David, he comes up, God says to Samuel, that's the guy, and he's anointed. He's the king of Israel, in front of his brothers, in front of his daddy, he is anointed as king of Israel. And then he's sent right back to shepherding. So often in our life, especially as I've studied to prepare to teach the book of Ephesians, we see that we are seated in the heavenly places. We see the truth of what God has for us. But God in his wisdom oftentimes takes a period of time to prepare us. To fix our hearts so that we can accept what he has. And So David uh, goes through. The, the end of the book of 1 Samuel is really difficult. Uh, it's battle after battle. Con confrontation after confrontation. God brings him into Saul's house to play an instrument, uh, and yet Saul attacks him, throw, literally throws a javelin at him. David runs from Saul, and, and he, he ends up going throughout Israel uh, running from Saul, being tempted to take matters into his own hands and kill Saul at times, at times hiding with a bunch of worthless men in a cave. The time that he spends in, the, in Agilum, in the caves, um, some of the most beautiful psalms that we have, that's when they're written. 
Some of the times when David says, many are my enemies that are arrayed against me. Where are you, O God? Rise, defeat my enemies. Those psalms that you and I run to on a regular basis, they were written in this time when David was the king, but he wasn't the king. When David had been promised that all of Israel is going to serve you, but he's in a cave, surrounded by people he doesn't have a whole high opinion of. He's got his mighty men. God is providing for his needs. He's able to defend himself. God does overcome his enemies. But it's not working out the way that he thought it would. It's not working out the way from what we read in the Psalms that he wanted it to. It's working out according to God's providence, God's sovereignty, the way God wants it to happen. Time after time, David runs. As we go through times when we don't understand what God's doing, see, it's easy for us as we read 1 Samuel. We we said this about Ruth. As we read 1 Samuel and we read about David in the caves and the, the despair that he felt, we know the rest of the story. We know that David will end up being king. We know that David will be enthroned in Jerusalem. We know that David will have a dynasty that ultimately leads to the king of kings and the lord of lords. And so it's hard for us to grasp the uncertainty, the fear. As you struggle in these times when there's financial uncertainty, I've talked to some of you and you've told me, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to eat if they don't let me go back to work in the next couple of weeks. Some of you have said, I, I didn't make my May mortgage payment. And I don't have the money to, to do anything about that. There's fear there. Some of you are financially being taken care of, but there's fear for your health. You don't know if you go out to Walmart and the wrong person calls on you, you know that you've, you're, you're, you're in that, that area that they keep saying, hey, if you've got this issue or that issue, you're, you're in danger. Maybe you're afraid for your health. Maybe you're afraid for, and you don't understand what's going on for the future of your country. You look at this and you, you're afraid because it seems like um, since when has a governor ever told everybody what they could and couldn't do? If you walk to the Glencoe Park right now, it says closed by order of the governor. When has that ever happened? Right now, we can't see the end of the story. And it's easy for us to get a, be afraid, for, for us to get anxious, for us to be angry, for us to take it out on our family. It's easy for us because we can't see forward what's going to happen. That's why God gives us stories like 1st and 2nd Samuel so that we can see how God is always faithful. It's not going to work out the way you want it to. It's not going to work out the way that you expect it to. It's going to work out for your good and God's glory. I can promise you that. So be patient. When you're anxious, what I do is I run to the Psalms. If you go to Psalms, I'm going to read Psalm chapter 3. David wrote this in one of these times. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. We read that word, those words, hear me, give ear to my words in chapter 5. We think to ourselves, or that just seems so marbleized. Hear what David is saying. Listen to me, God. 
Have you ever had times in your prayer life when it seemed like God wasn't listening? Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let me read chapter 3. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. Notice that, and he wrote this while he was running from his son Absalom, which we'll see in next week in chapter uh, 2 Samuel. He sleeps. So many people right now are struggling with sleeping. If you can't sleep at night because you're worried and you're stressed out, run to the Psalms. Don't just lay there. Don't watch stupid Netflix. Run to the Psalms. Read them out loud. I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike my enemies on the cheek. You break out the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings to your people. Now we read that language, and we feel a little uncomfortable, right? In our 21st century sensibilities, uh, David praying that God would knock out the teeth of his enemies feel weird, feels weird, feels strange. I can honestly say, other than reading the Psalms out loud, that I've never prayed, hey, this guy's making me mad. God, I pray that you would knock his teeth out. We need to remember that people are not our enemies. David's fighting against people. Our enemies are not flesh and blood, but are principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places. David feels like he has the authority here, and you have the authority to pray that God would rise up, break out the teeth of your enemy. Your enemy is in your ear whispering, how are you going to pay the bills? You're a failure as a man. You're not taking care of your business. When are you going to go back to work? Who does that governor think she is? You've got an enemy whispering in your ear, and you can pray that God would rise up and knock the teeth out of your enemy. Break his jaw. Shut him up. So we see in 1 Samuel, David in the struggle. You're in the struggle. I'm in the struggle. We can see the end of the story. God is faithful. No matter how this pans out, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is faithful. Father God, I pray that you would apply your words to our heart. God, I pray that we would serve you with gladness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go serve your king.